When you hear the word repent or repentant, not, again, not a very popular word in modern culture, but don't, don't shout it out, but just think, what would you think that, what do you think of when you hear the word repent or repentant? Sort of get a baseline in your own thinking for a moment. What would you think? Interesting that when the English re- word repent or repentance is used in the New Testament, it's translating a word from the Greek called metanoia or metanoeo, which is a compound word, meta meaning change, noeo meaning your mind or your thinking. So the etymology in the Greek has this idea of changing your mind. The Hebrew word often translated repent, but has a wide range of meaning. Its core, its core uh, heartbeat would be this idea of to turn or to return. Put those together, the core concept, I would say, in, from, the, from a biblical language perspective, is that repentance is basically moving along. You see something, you have an aha the aha awakens you to a realization that makes your will want to change direction, to stop something, to start something else. The anatomy of repentance is to see and to change, to see on the basis of what you've seen, to choose. But there's a turning in it, and I'd like to just demonstrate it visually like this. You're going along, you see, aha, Realization, choose, turn, go a different way. This is repentance. (gasps) Okay, so just for a little memory device, that's basically the heart of what we're gonna talk about today. Earl Palmer, former pastor of First Press in Berkeley, uh, told to me by Pete Stafford, said, his way of understanding repentance was a story with he and three other college buddies back in college driving cross country to go home for a break. And you know how that would happen. We're just gonna drive continually, keep switching the wheel. It was in the middle of the night. There was a switch of drivers. All was going well as they headed west from their eastern uh, port of uh, where they left until uh, as the, uh, you know, the dawn broke, the sun was right in front of them, which meant, oh no, we're going east. We were supposed to be going west. Somewhere in the night, one of the transfers didn't go so well, and they had to repent. They had to get off the freeway, feel regret and remorse for the lost miles, turn around, and go the other way. Repentance. I had a repentance moment in my own life a couple of weeks ago. I wanted to save some photographs from my iPhone to my iMac. I plugged it in, which I hadn't done for about eight years, and a sign came up that said, would you like to restore your old iPhone? And I thought, that's such a nice, that's so nice. (laughs) Restore is such a good word. (laughs) Of course, how could, yes, thank you. So I hit yes, and... And when I, my phone turned back on again, it was a version of my phone eight years ago and everything on my phone was lost. My calendar, my email, all my contacts. Uh, I had a moment like this. <gasps> I saw I had done a grave error. So I repented, which involved, well, well first of all, uh, just pacing and wild ranting. And then it was... <laughs> 
<laughs> and then I discovered something. Hey, I think the iCloud saves your phone iterations. So my repentance looked like this. I went and I wiped out, I cleared my entire phone, cleared it. There's a thing on there. Do you really mean to do this? Because this is irreversible. Yes. I just wiped the whole iCloud and I went looking and I downloaded it. There was a version from only four days previous. Hallelujah. <laughs> I only lost four days of, da- of data. But that's a beautiful picture of repentance. You're going along. Sure, restore my phone. Oh, I see what I have done. I turn around and I go the opposite way. I erase what I did and God was merciful to me. <laughs> it's a sad state of affairs that we are so dependent on these crazy phones that to wipe them out really causes that kind of distress. Isn't that sad? I want to talk about repentance today in in its two phases, both of which are seen clearly in the story of Mark chapter one. First phase we're gonna see, we're gonna call that phase one, or I'm gonna call that the sin management phase of repentance. And then phase two, I'm gonna call that the transformational phase of repentance. It's kinda neat to watch this unfold. If you have your Bibles, you might wanna turn to Mark chapter one. If not, on the back of your outline, you'll see some of the scriptures I'm going to reference actually outlined there. Before Jesus appears on the scene, there is this wild character in the desert named John the Baptist who is preparing the way uh, for the Lord, the scriptures say, by providing a baptism for repentance. Here's our word of the day. I'm gonna pick it up, Mark chapter one, verses four and five. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River and they were confessing their sins. The baptism of John is what I'm gonna call phase one, what I'm gonna call the sin management phase of repentance. It's what we usually think of when we hear the word. It means, man, I've been, um, it's come to my attention, I've had an aha that what I'm doing is wrong. I don't wanna do it anymore so I say no to it, I'm gonna do something different. So you see this play out in this scene. I'm gonna shoot over to Luke's gospel, the third chapter. Same scene, a little bit more development in Luke. Beginning at verse 10, John is doing this baptism and now he begins to have this interaction with people. The multitudes were questioning him saying, what shall we do? I open, ready to choose. They asked the question to John, what should we do? What should, what should our turnaround look like? He says to the multitudes in verse 11, Luke 3, He said, well, let the one who has two tunics share them with the one who has none. And let the one who has food do likewise. So John says, why don't you share your stuff? And some of the tax gatherers also came to be baptized. And they said, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what you have been ordered to. In that day, the tax collectors were hated because they used their power to steal from people under the authority they had been given as a collector. And some soldiers were there questioning him, saying, and what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. So this is really good. This is important work. People are recognizing they're doing stuff wrong They see it, they wanna go the other direction, they're making good choices. This is important repentance work and it characterizes our whole journey as people of God. 
But it's not the whole story. In particular, John's baptism was always characterized as one preparing the way for the coming of Jesus and his message. Interestingly, in the book of Acts later, we see a scene where Paul, now this is quite a ways down into the story of the church moving along. Paul is uh, near Ephesus in Asia Minor and he comes across a group of people that um, had apparently become Christians but not sufficiently. Look, turn your, actually your outline over. You can see this super easily. Acts 19, one through five. Um, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Well, then what baptism did you experience? Paul asked, and they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Just wanna point out that this As important as it is, this recognition of the behaviors, the actions of sin by which we name them as such, confess them and want to get rid of them is an important part of our lives, but it is only a a, a preparatory part to the deeper repentance that's going to come now in the teaching of Jesus. So let's go back to Mark chapter 1 and let's see the very first words that Jesus preaches in Mark's gospel, the very first words of that gospel on the lips of Jesus we find in chapter one at verse 14. Jesus was saying, here is the message now capsulized by Mark uh, of Jesus' teaching. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel or literally the good news. So notice that Jesus also comes with a repentance message, but now this sounds a little bit different than John's simple repent over your sins. What is uh, Jesus telling his people to repent of? Remember it means to see, to change your mind and to turn around. The clue is given in the very language itself, right there in the text, the, the, the call is to repent or turn around, and then what, what's the turnaround? Believe, In the good news, believe in Jesus' lips always means not just intellectualize an idea, but to bank on, to trust your life on it or toward it. Believe what? In the good news, the gospel. But what's the gospel at this point? We've said in our work together that the gospel good news message of the early church was that Jesus Christ was Lord because he had risen from the dead. That hasn't happened yet. So when Jesus says, believe the good news, what is the good news? Well, it's right in this statement. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe this good news. Translation is this. You've been waiting for a Messiah. You've been under the thumb of Rome. You've been wondering where God is. Here's the good news. Look at me. I have come. I am the promised Messiah. I am God. I am the king. I am the one who has come to make all things new. Place your hope in me. That is what is the center of Jesus' message and we will see that now as he becomes and shows himself to his people who he is. 
But the primary repentance message right here with Jesus is, hey, open your eyes and see me. And when you see me and you get who I am, that's gonna turn around your whole life. What do I mean by that? Well, look what happens in the very next verse of our text. We're at verse 16 now. We're still in Mark chapter one. And this is what happens next. As Jesus was going, and by the way, this scripture is on the back of your outline if you'd like to see it there. And as he was going by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of people. And they immediately left the nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who was also in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they went away to follow him. So here is now the deeper kind of repentance that happens when we see Jesus. John and James and Peter and, and Andrew saw Jesus. Aha, that's who you are. And their repentance was what? To leave their nets and their boats and to follow on this adventure with Jesus. It was a radical upheaval of their whole life. It wasn't just about changing a few little behaviors to be good enough to make God like you one day to get into heaven. That's the religious kind of limit of the repentance language. Jesus is saying, no, see me. Really see me. Push through the cliches and the rumors and all the other stuff. See me. And when you see me, Turn and give your life to me. The song that we sang earlier about surrender is the same kind of heart of gospel repentance at the center of Jesus' teaching. There's examples all through the story of the New Testament. We could, we could be here just picking story after story. Let me pick two for contrast's sake. There's a little guy named Zacchaeus, and I really mean a little guy. The wee little man named Zacchaeus hiding up in the sycamore tree waiting to see Jesus pass by because he was short and Jesus calls him out come I want to come have lunch with you across the table at lunch Zacchaeus has a chance to see Jesus now not across the way in the crowded room but personal eye close and he comes out of that lunch room and what does he say he says stuff like Man, if I have defrauded anybody, I'm gonna pay them back fourfold. And and not only that, I'm gonna take all I have and I'm gonna give half away to the poor. I want you to just notice what happened in that story. Zacchaeus saw Jesus. He was on a road. (gasps) Aha, that's who you are. His repentance was not just about sin management, just about correcting the people he had been cheated, although it included that. And it could have been something like, I'm gonna pay back every penny that I've stolen from people. But seeing Jesus, his repentance looked like this. I'm not only gonna pay him back, I'm gonna pay him back four times. And not even that, man, I'm changed. I don't even care about all this stuff I've got. I'm gonna take half of what I have and I'm gonna give it away to the poor. Do you see a radical reprioritization of his whole life happened in seeing Jesus? And it wasn't just a matter of sort of fixing the few identifiable sins that before he had been maybe able to label. 
There he is. There's the Zacchaeus story. Let's put right beside that the story of the rich young ruler. The text is in your outline, but let me just paraphrase for now. A, a young man comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit salvation, he says. Good teacher. Jesus says, well, you know, keep all the commandments. We're in the sin management realm here. And he goes, I'm good there. I've, I've done everything. The text in Mark says he looked at that young man and he loved him. He looked into his heart and he said, um, you know what, there's one thing I see. I want you to take all your stuff. I want you to give it away. For he was a very wealthy person. And the, the text says at that point that his countenance fell for he had so much and he walked away from Jesus. That is, by contrast, the picture of non-repentance. And it has very little to do with a list of identifiable sins. It was about a whole life priority shaped by an encounter with Jesus whom he saw up close but could not let go of what was most important to him. So for him, there was no repenting of that. There was sadness there was walking on. There was staying on the highway toward the rising sun when Jesus had called him to turn around and go, go west, young man, right? What I am trying to do in pain in this picture for us simply this morning is that while repentance as a biblical concept does have to do with a consciousness and a sensitivity to our moral and our ethical behavior, and that's always part of the story of trying to follow Jesus, that's only a first part of it. Dallas Willard, the theologian, I love this term, man, called this the sin management approach, which just falls short of the true heart of Jesus' teaching. You know, sin management is, is kind of like this. If you are interested in nutrition, writing a book on avoiding junk food. Chapter one, Fritos and how to avoid them. <laughs> Chapter two, M&Ms and other dangerous chocolates. Chapter three, fried foods, right? And you have a whole book just naming junk food. What a, what a boring book when you could say the world of food that God made that's good for you, the world of fruits and vegetables and nuts. I, I mean, do you see the difference? The, the sort of narrow, cramped condition of just being concerned about avoiding junk food, but about embracing the world of good food. It's a different orientation. And repentance at its heart, yeah, saying notice some junk food, but it's a way of embracing the chef of heaven, Jesus, inviting us into the banquet of a full and abundant life. So I will place the primary repentance text actually in a short parable of Jesus, Matthew 13, verse 44. Not on your back, but here, here it is. Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven is like a person who discovers a treasure in a field, buries it, goes back, sells everything that he has in order to go buy that field and thus secure the treasure. That is the story of repentance where he was going around, going on, sees a treasure. <gasps> Aha, 
turn around, sell everything that I have in order to give my life to that. Repentance is about turning from the ugly to the beautiful, from the less to the more, from the less real to the more real. That is at the heart of repentance when Jesus says, believe the good news. Bank on me being the center of the hope for the world. And I say that to us then, as I reflect on the way that we engage in conversation with our families and friends and neighbors, and this word repentance comes up, what would we say about it? Here's my, here's my thought, that when we're trying to express the heart of Christianity, we don't begin with sin management as our beginning topic. Sin comes into play, and as we saw last week, sin is a very important topic because it is that force that's driving apart the very fabric of the world. Listen to that from last week if you didn't hear that. But we don't begin there. Rather, we begin by saying, look at Jesus. See him. Because I tell you what, a lot of people don't have enough light to even understand this construction of sin as the biblical worldview will set it up. So changed has it been in the cultural conversation of the world. So we begin, I would rather us begin than with the first words of Jesus from the Gospel of John. Again, very first words in that Gospel has to do with John the Baptist. His disciples noticed Jesus. They were following him. Jesus turns around and he says, what are you seeking? And they said, where are you staying? And Jesus' beautiful invitation to them was, come and see. I think that's where we begin. When we tell the story, the Christian story that has given us hope, our first words are, come and see Jesus. Past the cliches, the warped representations, the way he's, um, the way he's rumored to be, the way people who talk about him who don't know his story there's a lot of work to be undone in just seeing him. And let me tell you this, Jesus is quite interested for all of us pulling back the cobwebs, opening our eyes in a true spiritual sense to see him as he is. Because even us in this room, we're clinging to some misrepresentations and shadows that have slipped in along the way. But we have these four gospels that stand as a bulwark to help us tell the story of the real Jesus over and over again. Repentance, what a profound, true turning toward the beautiful at the very heart of the story of Jesus and his world. And it all begins with seeing him as he is. Would you pray with me? And my prayer for us, Jesus, as we just listen to this, as we hear this, would you open our eyes to see you? And if any of us in this room are living with a view of you that is not right, that has somehow been distorted by our parents who did not love us well, by preachers that preached a strange Jesus, by encounters and things that we've read or seen, whatever, 
Holy Spirit, would you have mercy on us that we might see you and that in seeing you like Zacchaeus, joy would overtake us and we would be eager to overthrow the priorities of our life to follow you. And give us opportunity to help our friends and neighbors see the real, beautiful, brave, courageous, loving, wise, amazing Jesus who leaps off the pages of the Gospels. Equip us to be seers and to help others see. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.